0: Good morning. Oh, what a sweet, sweet morning already. Thank you, worship team. Uh, Can you believe we're one week away from Easter? And uh, that's awesome. Easter is one of my, like this week, Holy Week is one of my favorite weeks in the the year. Um, If you did not know, we have inviter cards that you can pick up at the Welcome Center. If, If there's someone that, you know, God has put you in their life, and you know that they, um, maybe for the sake of inviting them to church this Easter, but they don't have a place to come and worship, um, and they might be open to that. Uh, so you can grab one of these, you can grab a few of these out at the Welcome Center. I would invite you, every single one of us should prayerfully be of mind about that. Like, you are placed in people's lives, right? God has placed you where you are at for a reason. There are people around you that need Jesus, and that's the reason you're there, right? So just, you don't have to do this. By the way, you pray, God, is there someone that you would have me invite uh, to church on Easter? You can grab these. Um, okay, so we're wrapping up a series on the unhurried life. And if you know what I know, what you do, we live in a digital age, which means the constant tethering to... Devices. I can't even preach a sermon without an iPad, right? Um, how much time do you think the average American spends with screens every day unrelated to work or school? Just form a guess in your mind. <laughs> so th- when we say this, by the way, we're talking 18 and up. Right, so my dad would be included in this category and he can't even like check his voicemail on his iPhone. He doesn't know how to do that. It's over eight hours a day. Crazy, isn't it? And, and it's like micro doses. It's not like anyone sits with their phone for eight hours or sits um, on, on Netflix for eight hours. Maybe you do on your day off. So, so, I don't know. But, you know, it's, it's micro doses throughout the day. We can't put this down, right? Do you have a go-to, like when you have 10 spare minutes, do you have a go-to app that you open? right, is it Candy Crush? Um, Is that still a thing? Is it? It still is? All right, cool. Um, Or maybe it's Fortnite. Um, I don't know what it is. Um, If you're my wife, it's the Bible Project, so she's super holy, right? Um, She loves, so it's not always a, a bad thing, but the reality is that we are so tethered to devices that the, the, <laughs> the per, like, biggest maybe fear, some people are, are saying, uh, and fear is the wrong word, the biggest obstacle facing followers of Jesus following him is that we don't know how to be with him, right? And so we're not becoming like him or doing what he's doing in the world. And so we're doing this series, Unhurried Life, right? How do we untether from, from the things of life that keep us from being tethered to Jesus? And we've talked about Sabbath the last two weeks. Um, and last week, if you were here, uh, we, we said three things about Sabbath, okay? Sabbath is the culmination of the creation account in Genesis 1, this holy day that is a set apart for God, Every seventh day, it becomes the building block for not only how time functions in God's creation, but also for all worship and holy days, all sacred days, and those days point back to the creation, not only, but also to the future unending rest for God's people in his presence. So Sabbath is the culmination of the creation account, to Sabbath is a command. It's part of the Ten Commandments, and the people are commanded to obey it for two reasons. In the Exodus, it's the creation account. God's Sabbath, so should you. Um, And in Deuteronomy, the reason is you used to be a slave, but you've been freed from slavery. Right? That's God's people. Israel were given that command. And then we also looked at Sabbath is a gift. God says it's not just a command, but it's a gift. And, And if you go to the story of the Israelites receiving manna in the wilderness, God says I... Nathan you the Sabbath, that word Nathan is a Hebrew word. It means to give or to bestow upon God. I've given you, I've gifted you the Sabbath. And when we come to Jesus, this is where we ended last week, right? He says in the same passage where he says he's Lord of the Sabbath, he says God gave the Sabbath to man. It's a gift. It's for man, not man for the Sabbath, (laughs) So what we're going to do is we're going to jump into what Jesus says a little bit more. And we're going to answer the question, right, so what? If it's a command for Israel but not for me, why do I do it? Why are we practicing this as a church? And we've talked about this already, uh, but we're going to let the scriptures speak to it a little bit more. Okay, so would you turn to Matthew 12 with me? I'm going to bring up my Bible as well. And I'll be reading from the NIV. Now, this is the same story that we ended with last week. It appears here in Matthew 12. We read it from Mark 2 last week. It also appears in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. The reason I'm choosing it here is because of what the words that immediately precede it. Okay? And in the end of Matthew 11 is where Jesus says... Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, we've already preached a sermon on that. I don't plan on doing a second one this morning. But let me remind you of some things. A rabbi's teaching in Jesus' day was known as his yoke. It was his interpretation of how to fulfill Torah, how to live out God's law. And the idea was if you did, you would be blessed. So in a sense, rest came from obedience to Torah. Make sense? So when Jesus says what he says, he's upsetting the whole System. Because what Jesus says is, yes, learn not from Torah, learn from me. Take my yoke, and who gives rest? Rest doesn't come from obedience, it actually comes from a person. I will give you rest. And so this claim to the Pharisees would have been outrageous. But Jesus sees himself as the one who can give rest to God's people. And that's important. So when we go into Matthew, right? Let's Matthew 12. We're going to read 1 through 8. And it says, at that time, verse 1, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. So he's walking through a field, right, of grain. And his disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. Now, Matthew wants you to, to picture, like, it should evoke sabbath images for you the disciples have not made this food happen they're hungry and it's there it is god has provided it it's like eden it's like a garden right it is god's provision for them it's like manna in the wilderness it's just there for them to partake of they did not have to work for it god provided it verse two when the pharisees saw this they said to him, they're saying to Jesus, Look, my Bible has an exclamation point there. So they're, they're pretty upset. Your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Now, most, sometimes, not most, I'd say sometimes, we can come to this passage and misunderstand what's happening. And we can say, well, Jesus doesn't care about Sabbath. He did away with it. They're not observing it. They don't care about the law, Right? Uh, him and his disciples are going to do whatever they want, and that's not what's taking place. Now, there's an accusation that they're breaking the law, but there's this huge debate, debate, conversation happening among the Pharisees at this time. And the, the conversation is like, what does it look like to guard and observe Sabbath? And if you remember, that's actually the command given in Deuteronomy, observe. And so they had Torah, which the Lord had given them, And they had Mishnah, which was all these rules that they added to protect and guard the Sabbath. And they're like, hey, if we could just keep all these rules for sure, we would participate in Sabbath. We'd be obeying the command. We wouldn't have to worry about it. But it's their rules, not God's. It's not Scripture. It's Mishnah. And Pharisees, they prided themselves on being the most knowledgeable and studied about the scriptures, and so I love Jesus' response. He has a few, but the first one is this: he, in verse three, he answers, "Haven't you read the Bible, <laughs> right? Okay." And he's talking to people who have like memorized the Bible, right? He's like, "Hey, uh, remember David? He's kind of a big character. Um, did you not eat? Like, did you not read when David did?" Um, what David did when he and his companions were hungry. He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. And Jesus is saying God didn't punish David because there's an elevated value of compassion for the needs of God's people above the strict adherence to the function of the law. That makes sense? Jesus is, this is a huge statement from him. He's elevating compassion and need of God's people above actually like, functionally doing what we're supposed to. Doesn't mean he's for giving up Sabbath. But he is for compassion he goes on in verse 7, he says, If you had known what these words, oh no, sorry, verse 5, that's where we are. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath, and yet they are innocent? And I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. So he, he says another point, the priests, they're working all Sabbath long. But God's cool with that because they're serving him. So he makes an exception for them. And here's why, because it's involved in God's people, and his presence, it's this temple, it's the temple idea. It's the biggest picture of their worship and, their, and God's presence and their closeness to God that they have. And Jesus says, in this moment, something greater than the temple is here, right? I am here. This is, huge. this is huge stuff. Um, God is more fully here and present right now in Jesus than he would be in what's pictured and enacted in temple worship. It's like Jesus would say, the kingdom of heaven is right here. Verse 7. If you had known what these words mean... So this is his third point to them. Jesus is a brilliant teacher, if you didn't know this already. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. If you knew what that meant, you would not have condemned the innocent. You wouldn't have called my disciples out. No. This is, this is so cool. Because this is not the first time Jesus has talked to them about this. This is the second And the first comes in Matthew chapter nine. And if you know um, the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter nine is where the author himself, Matthew, the disciple, talks about how Jesus called him to follow him. And in that story, this tax collector, who for sure you don't associate with, he's a sinner. Right, this tax collector, he says yes to this invitation from Jesus to follow him. And after he says yes, he throws a party, and there's all his friends are there, and Jesus is there, and the and the Pharisees are like, Jesus, look at you, you hang out with sinners, come on. And Jesus says to them, and you probably heard this before, right? Um, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And I've come to call. Not the righteous, but sinners. And he says, he says, go learn. Go learn, you Bible scholars, what Hosea 6.6 6 means. Go learn what it means when I say, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So when Jesus brings it up here in, in, in chapter 12, he's basically saying, okay, you didn't learn it. I told you to go learn about this, and you didn't. You're still ignorant. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. If you, if you continue in Hosea 6, it would say, I would rather you know me than offer burnt offerings, God says. So again, Jesus is, is elevating something above another. Knowing God, mercy above sacrifice, burnt offerings, right? So you might do the worship right, visibly, but I'm more concerned about what's going on in the reality of your heart. Huge statement. And then verse 8, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. I am the one who ushers in the ultimate Sabbath for God's people, I am the one who gives rest. Sounds like Matthew, right? If you're weary, burdened, come to me. I will give you rest. Not just physical rest. Rest for your soul. Sabbath rest. God's rest. Okay, you want to go further? Okay, we're going to look at Luke's gospel um, as well. Uh, But we need to understand something first to to go into Luke 4. So we're going to go back, turn all the way back to Leviticus chapter 25. Everyone's favorite book. I know you read it lately. Leviticus is the third book in the Bible. It's way to the left. (laughs) Okay, it's part of Torah, the first five books of the Bible. It takes place after uh, the tabernacle has been built for Israel. So God has redeemed his people from Egypt. He's led them through the wilderness. And he is going to instruct them in this book on what it means to be a holy people, how to worship him. Uh, And we get to Leviticus 25. I'm going to turn there to you. Sorry. And again, what what we're exploring here together is what Sabbath is in the Bible how Jesus views it, how it's connected to his ministry, and how he changes it, okay? That's that's where we're headed. Okay, Leviticus 25. Yeah, verses, we'll start one through four. Then the Lord said to Moses at Mount Sinai, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land, so this is before they enter into the promised land, When you enter the land I am going to give you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years sow your fields, and for six years prune your vineyards and gather their crops. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. So basically, every seventh year... Not only like is Sabbath about a weekly rest, but every seventh year, the land gets a Sabbath. And basically, you are going to only live off of what God provides from the land. You're not going to work for it. So what you live off of comes from God, not from you. And he says, this is not even for you. This is a Sabbath to me. Basically, you don't own the land. It's not your slave. It belongs to God. Right, you don't provide for you, God provides for you. All right, let's keep going. Uh, verse five. Oh, actually, let's drop down to verse eight, okay? Count off seven Sabbath years, seven times seven years, so that the seven if you're good at math, this is, you might like this. Seven Sabbath years amount to a period of 49 years. Then have the trumpet or the Jubilee sounded everywhere on the 10th day of the 7th month. On the Day of Atonement, sound the trumpet throughout your land. Consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty. Another word there is release. Throughout the land to all its inhabitants, it shall be a Jubilee for you. Each of you is to return to your family property and to your own clan. The 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. Do not sow and do not reap but grows of itself or harvest the unintended, untended vines. For it is a jubilee, he really likes that word, and it's to be holy for you. Eat only what is taken directly from the fields. In this year of jubilee, it's a whole year, Everyone is to return to their own property. Basically this. Every seventh year, the land gets a rest. Right? For a whole year. Every seven, seventh Sabbath year, year 49, right? You On the seventh month, and the tenth day, this is important because this is the day of atonement. This is the day God, they celebrate the release from their sins every year. God provides for them, release for their sins. On that day, you announce that year 50 is the year of Jubilee. Another, in the Bible, year of the Lord's favor. You'll see that phrase too. And on this year of Jubilee, this 50th year, by the way, it's the second year in a row then that you're living off the land, okay? So for two years now, you can't farm the land. You got to let it rest, So for two years, you're not providing for yourself, and God is providing. Not only that, but all debts are canceled. Most common form of debt back then uh, would have been uh, like uh, indebted slavery, where if you could not provide for your family, you would give yourself as a servant and join someone else's household, right? So all slavery, all debt, it's all done away with. It's, it's just done. It's a race. You owe something, it's gone. You don't owe it anymore. Um, and then not only do you, are you like free from your debt, right, you're released from it, but you get back your land. Right? At the beginning, all 12 tribes were given land equally, and they're all on equal footing. And he's basically saying every 50 years, we go back to this, and no one gets ahead no one gets ahead at the expense of someone else's misfortune. Because we're all God's people. And the reason is because God has, can provide for everyone. There's enough. Right? There is enough for everyone. But it requires faith in Yahweh. And, and it was so interesting. Remember all the sevens? That it was the seventh month. Seventh year, it's made up of weeks of seven, right? Seven seven years of seven. It's just like Genesis 1. It's like all these sevens are pointing to a culmination of something, something greater. And so this year of Jubilee, it becomes a picture, and you'll see this as you progress through the Old Testament, it becomes a picture of God's future rest for his people. This is where the story is headed, Right and this is even a more developed picture than Sabbath. Right? It's a beautiful picture, right? Can you guys imagine that? Like in our society that would be chaos. But in this like farming community like this would be a lifeline. This it'd be amazing. It it would it would just I mean it'd be amazing. But it's hard for us to imagine because it's so different. We got to admit together, it's different than the American story, right? It's so different than the American dream, right? It's not you have earned what you, des- you deserve it, what you've earned because you pulled yourself up by your bootstraps. It's actually you don't own it. It belongs to God. And it's it, you using it, what you have, all that is a gift from God. It's not faith in what I can produce for myself. That is so the American story. We strive to no end for the pursuit of happiness, to to better our lives, right? But God is saying, no, 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 I want you to rest. And can you imagine culture like this? Can you imagine taking a year off? I like that, kinda. Just, but think about this. Right, like this is how God is depicting community, His people, like in His presence, like what they need. God sure think, thinks that His people need rest, and lots of it. Okay, so a little bit year of jubilee. Back to Luke four. All right, so that's in the New Testament. It's to the right. Now, at this point in Luke, right, Jesus has stopped at the Jordan to um, be baptized by John. In that baptism, the Father announces over Jesus that is his son whom he loves, whom he's pleased with. And uh, the Holy Spirit has come upon Jesus, has led Jesus into the wilderness, and for 40 days and 40 nights, Uh, Jesus has faced the temptation of the enemy. He's returned victorious. He is beginning his ministry. So when we come to this place, it says that Jesus, verse 14, returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Jesus is filled with the Spirit. The news about him spread through the whole countryside. And he was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue. As was his custom, he stood to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom. For the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The year of Jubilee. Then he rolled up the scroll. He gives it back to the attendant. He sits down. Eyes of everyone are on him. And and he goes... Today, that scripture is filled, fulfilled in your hearing. You can almost just hear, right? If there's ever a mic drop moment, that was it. And he sits down. Now, yes, all right. My wife clapped. All right, we're there. All right. Um, now, just pay attention, right? This is the first story in Luke's Gospel, where Jesus has gone public with his ministry. So in this, we are learning from Jesus' mouth what he thinks about why he's here, what he's here to do. And he's in his hometown. Now, Nazareth, at this point, scholars say, and I don't know, right, so I have to depend on what I read, under 1,000 people, maybe under 500 people, The whole town. And he's lived there for a long time. Okay, everyone knows each other. They know who Jesus is. He's the carpenter's son. In fact, that comes up later. But it says, Jesus goes to the synagogue. It was his normal custom. He takes the scroll. And he proclaims the year of Jubilee. Now, you need to understand this is how Jesus sees his ministry, and it's definitely how Luke's gospel is going to portray his ministry uh, over the next nine chapters. It becomes the lens for what we see Jesus teaching and doing as he goes about healing and preaching the kingdom, the majority of which all takes place on the Sabbath. Now, first, This fits the paradigm that we've been saying, what Jesus is saying rest is now tied to a person. Right? The year of Jubilee, the picture of God's ultimate rest, Jesus is the anointed one who brings it. That's what he's saying. It's a huge claim. And that's important to understand because while Jesus is doing a new work, He's not starting a new thing, right? Rather, he's fulfilling a very old one. He is the one who announces and brings the year of Jubilee, the ultimate complete rest for God's people. Secondly, if you read on, and this would be just, I invite you to do this, read through these chapters in Luke. Like, start in Luke 4, and then use this, and just start reading what Jesus says, what he does, and you'll start to make connections, right? For Jesus, God's rest, this year of Jubilee, it's holistic. And this is what I mean by that. Some people want to make it about a physical thing. That is an example of God's kingdom coming. It shows he has the authority and needs. Some people want to make it about a spiritual thing. It's about forgiveness of sins. It's all of that. So when Jesus shows up to the paralytic man, right, whose four friends have, have dropped him through a roof to get him near Jesus. And he says, they're like, yeah, he's paralyzed. What does Jesus start with? Your sins are forgiven. That word forgiven is the word release. It's the year of release. It's the ministry of the year of Jubilee. right? Your sins are released. Right, and so that you know that the Son of Man has authority to release you, release him from his sins, I say, take up your mat and walk. And the guy walks. And he, he makes him whole. <laughs> or you go to and, and you go to the woman uh, who's been crippled for 18 years. And how Jesus describes her is that she's been bound by an evil spirit. It's not. Jesus isn't about to deliver her from her sins. He's gonna deliver her from the effect and power of sin and death in the world and the evil one. And, he's, and when he heals her, he says, you're set free. You're released from your affirmity. <laughs> so for Jesus, it's a, it's a holistic thing. It's not just a spiritual reality. It's not just a physical, like the year of Jubilee, his ministry, what he brings, what he offers is whole. It's a whole life, right? Redemption of all that we are. Also, Sabbath rest is given by Jesus, but it also is something that we activate, actively participate in. And this is what I mean by that. The year of the Lord's favor. Requires our participation. If we're going to share what we have, right, it's not like Jesus creates new land for people to get and you can just keep all that you've accumulated. No, he says there's enough for everyone. And because we all have enough, right, the picture of the year of Jubilee, this perfect picture of God's community, or the kingdom of God, you might say, is that there's, we're involved, we share, and we receive, right? Do you remember when Jesus said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice? Right, compassion for God's people is important. Um, right after the passage where Jesus says, he's the Lord of the Sabbath, um, the grain passage where they're walking through Um, It says, also on the Sabbath, they're in the temple, and the Pharisees know there's a guy there with a withered hand who needs to be healed. And they're waiting to see what Jesus will do because they want him to heal him, and they want to accuse him of working, of disobeying the law. And so it's so interesting. Jesus calls the guy right into the center of the room. He's like, hey, come out where everyone can see you, first of all. And he says, stretch out your hand. And the moment this guy is obedient to Jesus and he stretches out his hand, he's healed. And again, they're, they're like, they are in up, they're furious at him. This is like, what? Um, and Jesus says, is it better to do good or evil on the Sabbath? To save life or destroy it? So see, for Jesus, there's in rest with God, it's still okay to be part of God's life-giving, restorative, redemptive work. There's still a kingdom work, a non-slavery work that we can participate in. For Jesus, and lastly, for Jesus, the reality of Sabbath rest is today and forever. And I don't want us to miss this. This is really important. The reality of Sabbath rest is today and forever. In fact, can we say that together? It's today and it's today and forever. And this is what I mean. In verse 21, Jesus says, today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, what's he, what is fulfilled? Now, Jesus doesn't quote, and this is important. Jesus doesn't quote where I took you, Leviticus 25, right? He actually quotes Isaiah 61. And if you're a real Bible nerd, you'll notice that he actually takes a phrase from Isaiah 58 and sneaks it into his quote of Isaiah 61 Um, which is a super rabbi kung fu technique, all right? And you can go study that on your own because we don't have time for that. Um, He's adding to the picture of Isaiah 61. Um, But Isaiah is written to God's people in exile at this point, the later chapters especially, um, to encourage them to not lose heart but to hope. Right? God's people have been punished, they're in exile, they've been removed from the land, they have no rest. And the big question is, will God be faithful to his covenant? Will he come through on what He has promised us? And God's like, absolutely, right? In fact, like, take comfort, it's all over Isaiah, but in this, right, the year I am appointing a servant to come. And he's, he'll be anointed. He'll be the Messiah. And he'll announce the year of Jubilee. He'll bring it in. It's coming. So it's, for them, it's an eschatological hope. It's like the end of the story. It's like this is where it's all headed. So for Jesus to step in and say, yeah, that's now. That's right now. That's a huge statement. Now we understand that it's not fully there yet, right? Because the whole cosmos isn't transformed into everything God intends it to be. It's not all at rest. But what Jesus is saying is the future reality of God's rest is fully available now to you, in me. He's the Messiah. It is a present and forever reality. And that's significant for us as we think about practice. Because they practiced the thing to look forward to something else. Right? So Sabbath practice has always been about a picture for God's people of anticipating a fullness of rest that's coming. So right, we step into a rest with God and someday this is gonna fill everything and it's gonna be awesome. But Jesus fulfills that. So for us, practice is no longer about anticipating. It's not like we look forward to something that's coming, although we do. The fullness of it. What it's about is experiencing and stepping into the rest that we have already. And this is key. It's different than anticipating. And and Hebrews makes this clear, right? Turn to Hebrews 4. Now, Hebrews 4 is nothing. it's It's not clear. It's hard. It's difficult, if I'm honest. And I am just beginning to understand it. So please, it's the beginning of a conversation, right? And it's the last passage that we'll look at. Up to he, he closes chapter three with this argument that um, you cannot enter God's rest if you don't believe. Right, faith in Jesus is what brings us into God's rest into, in His death his resurrection, that he is Lord, that he is Savior. And so when you get to Hebrews 4, we're going to read from 9 through 11, but really quick before then, verse 3, if you go to verse 3, it says, Now we who have believed enter that rest. He's talking about Sabbath rest. That word for rest, there. It means a resting place. And it's a metaphor for the heavenly, I I wrote this down because I was like, there's no way I could repeat that. The heavenly blessedness in which God dwells promised to those in Christ who persevere to the end. Okay, that got out weird. Let's say it again. It's a metaphor for the heavenly blessedness in which God dwells. Promised to those in Christ who persevere to the end. It's the future rest, right? So we who have believed in Jesus, present tense, enter the future rest. That's over here. So the fullness of over here is not just available over here. It's available today. Today and forever. Now verse 9, it says this, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So there is a rest that's available here. There's a rest we enter into, present, but there is a Sabbath rest coming. It's even better. Completely full at the end of this story where w- what we experience in moments when we're tethered to Jesus becomes our entire reality and full together in God's presence as a people in the future. For anyone who enters God's rest, again, the eternal rest, rests from their works. So this is hinged to the other phrase, there remains a Sabbath rest. So he's talking about the end rest. rest, And they rest from their works just as God did from his. At some point in that rest, right, when we get there, when you've run the race, the striving's over. There's nothing but rest. Right? We don't, there's no effort. <laughs> it's amazing. And some Jesus followers have already gotten there at this point in Hebrews. They've passed into God's rest. And so he says this he said, he's talking about his church, this group of people. Let us then, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following this example of disobedience. So, this rest is only from Jesus. We don't earn it. you got to hear that. It's a gift. It comes through faith in Jesus. But all of our effort, this side of experiencing fully, goes to living in it, experiencing it, This present and forever reality becomes the marker for us of what life in Jesus should look like today. Right? This is life in the kingdom of God. When we pray like Jesus taught us, God, may your kingdom come here at Moraine Valley Church as it is in heaven. Right, we're praying, what we're really praying for as God made the year of Jubilee take root fully here today. That's the picture. The year of release, the year of God's favor, forgiveness of sins, freedom from the evil one, freedom from sin and death. No more slavery, no more oppression. Rest in God. That arrived in Jesus and one day, when Jesus returns, it will be ushered in fully. Guys, this is why the gospel is still good news. The year of Jubilee is here. And it's now. And it's offered through Jesus. Right? That's a, that's a message the world desperately longs to hear. And you are a bearer of that message. Like Like... in in the hebrews chapters verse 7 it says he quotes from a psalm the psalm is actually about how the israelites when they were wandering in in they wandered in the wilderness because they hardened their hearts against god and so they didn't get to experience his rest and he says and the psalmist they had this song in israel they're like hey today if you hear god's voice don't, don't be like those guys don't harden your heart right um but, but believe, obey, jump in. And, and again, t- I, I, I want you to hear that today if you hear God's voice. Don't harden your heart. Apart from Sunday morning, have you ordered your life to experience God's rest? Have you cultivated in your life Space to be with God, to be tethered to him. And how do you know when it's enough? Or or how do I know what to do? Well, the honest truth is, it's not about whether you practice Sabbath or whether you pray every day or whether you have a quiet time that we talked about. These are all tools. What matters is that you know how to be with God. I don't think Jesus cares, but... Sabbath can be a great practice for us because it tethers us now to God. It's a, it's a way, it's a handle, it's a, a space for us to say, okay, I'm going to carve out space. I'm going I'm to be connected to my Savior. You know, and, and so how, your lives are busy. How do you know when it's enough? How do I know when I've rested enough? Right, because it's not a commandment. So I don't have to do even in the full set. How do I know what to do? I would just say this. This is the invitation. When life equals communion with God. When Jesus' announcement and mission of the year of release becomes your announcement and mission. Right? When you are free. From all that enslaves you. See, all that's coming, guys, for anyone who's in Christ, has put their faith in Christ. But it's also available today. And the present comes into the future, comes into the present. And we experience the rule and reign of Jesus in our lives in moments as we yield to Him, as we be still, as we take time to know Him, as we walk with God. And so the reason we unhurry our life is because Jesus is life. And, and he doesn't want us to settle just for the rest that's someday because today there is rest. Enter the rest today. It comes to us through faith in Jesus. You've already entered into it. You just need to experience it. So as we go um, towards communion... This is what I want to invite you to do. We started with Palm Sunday. The story of Palm Sunday is Palm Sunday, and um, this idea that there is an active faith being cried aloud to Jesus, save us! Right, the crowds are crying, and we know the story. We know where it's headed on Good Friday. If you need, by the way, if you need communion, raise your hand. Someone will bring it to you. If you are believe in Jesus, you're welcome to take communion with us this morning. Um, so the same crowd that cries "Save us" is going to cry out for Barabbas in just a week, and I want to invite you to make Hosanna the daily cry of your life. Jesus, save me today. Show me how to live. May it be in you. Right? And this morning to cry, the same God who has saved us from our sins is saving us and and allowing us to enter his rest today as we are tethered to him. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you came. You lived a perfect life. You died. You rose again. You defeated sin and death. You paid the price for our sins. And you deliver us from that as we believe in you. And this morning, this reminds us of the rest that you provide. Of the life that you give us that you gave your body for us that you shed your blood for us and i pray that as a church you, you would continue to lead us into your presence into your person to be a people that is tightly tethered to you to your loves to your purposes in the world we're reminded that though the rest has come It's not here in full yet. And one day, when it is in full, we'll be with you face to face and share this meal together. That's awesome. So church, if you would open, we're going to take this together. Open the bread part first. And with joy, we remember Jesus, his body for us. All right, make sure you flip it over before you pull the other part off the cup in the kingdom is going to be a lot better than this right, I promise. a little bigger I promise but this reminds us right this reminds us of how Jesus shed his blood for us the blood of the new covenant so we remember him what he did as we drink together Thank you, Jesus. Church, would you stand? And um, I'm just excited about what God's doing in our church, how he's calling us to be a part of his kingdom work in the world, his year of jubilee, his rest. All right, let's worship him.